Welcome to the Brand Intelligence Podcast, the show where we pull back the curtain on some of the world's smartest brands. We will dig into how great brand marketing is the flywheel for growth and how to manage brand compliance and governance while growing a business. I'm your co-host, Tessa Court, and today we're taking a deep dive into the world of mushroom agriculture, brand extensions, white labeling to big grocery, and food compliance. Joining me to discuss all things ag marketing and branding will be my good friend and partner in crime, Georgia Beatty, who's the CEO of Bulla Farms and Mushroom Saloon, your newest brand. Welcome, Georgia. All right. It's so good to be here. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, it's great to see you. I think the last time I saw you, we were on top of a mountain. That's right. Skiing in the sun. So it's nice to see you I'll here in the again. studio. Um, so <laughs> a couple of things. professional. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I guess a couple of things. Before we start, we'd love to talk about a theme song. I am one of those people. I think everybody has a theme song that sums up the way we live or what we think, or what motivates them. Mine is Proud Mary, as you know, because it was my wedding song and... Lots of other fun things have happened to that song. But what is yours and what do you love about it? So I found it really difficult to choose a song. And because I've, I've got quite a varied taste in music, but I did after a little while, as you know, I love the arts. And I mean, I could, you know, I go to the MSO like every week, sorry, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra every week. So I could have gone down the Bach or Beethoven's Ninth sort of path. But I decided on a show tune and something that's really sort of overperformative. But it's a song that I listen to if I've had a bit of a rough day and I need something to sort of bring me back to me. And so it's called This Is Me. And it's actually from The Greatest Showman, the movie, which I don't think I've actually watched the whole thing of, but I love this song. So I'll send it to you so you can have a play. But can I read you a couple of lines from it? Of course you can. Of course you can. So, and these are some of the things that resonate with me. So, because it's sort of acceptance of yourself and your flaws and self-love and not being afraid to be seen and standing up for something. And so there's a line here. There's a, let me read a couple of lines. Look out because here I come and I'm marching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. And it's just this like, I love this song, particularly if I'm like had a big day and I'm driving back from the farm and I've got, you know, a lot of time to myself in the car. It's a really beautiful song. So that's my song. That's awesome. And I do love show tunes. I love all show tunes. And I think that really describes you when we met. So we met 13 years ago at a women's technology accelerator. I was, I think, 43. You were 28. <laughs> you were young. You just had started your own business. And I was, I just can't remember how I was so impressed with the fact that you had your own company at 28. Because I started Intelligence Bank, I think, when I was 40. And I just couldn't even imagine being 28 and having your own business and exporting wine to China and doing all those cool things that you did. Can you talk about how you started with... So before you got into mushrooms and branding mushrooms, which I think is like an incredibly hard thing to do, branding a commodity. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your journey with building a single-serve wine brand and what was it and what did you do and how were you successful? Because you ended up selling it, I think, a couple of years later. So that was an awesome journey for you. 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a couple of years in the business. It was longer and it was hard. I mean, like, the whole business came from a place of naivety, really. I, and I, I guess it's really different when you start a business when you're 40 and you've got this consciousness and, and you're, you're planned and you know what you're doing, where I was just sort of like, let's give this a go. And so... I think you have a mortgage. I think you have a mortgage when you're 40. I think you don't necessarily have one when you're 25. Mortgage, <laughs> children, right? you know, yeah, a life yeah. that you like living <laughs> yeah. where I... Yeah. yeah, it's true. I had nothing to lose. And so I was just give, having an absolute swing. And so, which I think is the, the fantastic thing about entrepreneurship, particularly in your 20s. And you see a lot of big founders starting businesses when they're that age because they've got a blue sky on the risk that they're happy to take. But remember, I studied entrepreneurship over in the States. So I came back here. And so I was ready to start a business. And I was at a music festival. And I brought one of the glasses along so you can see because I've got it on my bookcase at home. I should have brought some mushrooms in. That'd be more sort of helpful. But so this is one of the glasses. So I was at this music festival and they wouldn't serve me a glass of wine. So I thought I'd like solve all the world's problems of, of, you underage? of poverty Were and you hunger. Underage? No, I wasn't. No, underage, <laughs> Tessa, come on. Well, I was just out of, out of uni. I was, my, I, was, I was 22 when I started the company straight after that. And so I went home and got a plastic glass, put wine in it and ironed a bit of foil onto it. And that was my prototype. And then I somehow raised over a million bucks and, and had this factory and this business just got so much bigger than I ever thought it was that it could. And I was just sort of, rather than having the attitude of measuring up risk and going for something in a very sort of planned and executed way like I do in my business now, I was just throwing things at the wall and seeing if they would stick. And a lot of them did. And so, yeah, so I ended up having sort of a factory that would, one side would injection mold this glass and the other side would put wine in it and seal it. And then we'd put them into hotel minibars and airlines all around the world. And it was, it was fun. It was a really fun business. Yeah, that was awesome. And you had a good exit for that, which enabled you to be the CEO of other companies. And then tell us about how you got into mushrooms. And again, we're talking about the kind you eat on your salad, not the music festival type. Just that's what I'm doing just now. Yeah. That's just the regular, yeah. So regular mushrooms, which are delicious. So you actually gave me a big box and our staff literally loved the portobellos and some shiitake I think you gave us, which was Excellent. Amazing. You're but a mushroom expert already. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into ag and how you got into Bulla Farms. And tell us a little bit about that journey. And then we'll get into the brand and how you're creatively expressing mushrooms. I think it's funny when I say that. Yeah. But how you're building a <laughs> brand around commodities, right? Because this is a brand intelligence conversation. And, you know, we want to tie it back to brand. But you know, how you got into that in the first place, because I think you're brave and amazing for doing it. And, you know, when I, when we talk all the time, you're talking to me about, you know, getting into big grocery or whatever, but, you know, you're also building drainage systems for mushroom farms. And so you're doing everything from, as you were the CEO, obviously everything from running the operations to hiring to product development, as well as branding. So can you just talk a little bit about how you got there and then what are you doing at Bulla Farms and why is it different? Why is it exciting? Okay. Yeah. So I'll start with why. And I mean, that why and that brand, you know, bringing your person into the business and your identity is absolutely critical and, and is our secret weapon. And I'll talk to that a little bit. But the reason, so the why is that in this business, if I was to summarize this, it's alcohol and plastic and 
I had this check-in where I realized that every dollar I was making in plastic glass was going out into the world, which is not good. So I was making plastic and I was selling alcohol, which is sort of escapism, alcohol damages, you know, contributes to all sorts of abuse in communities and things. And I mean, I drink alcohol, but it's just sort of, it really wasn't something that I wanted to be my my legacy. So I had this sort of check-in as an entrepreneur. And entrepreneurs are, are critical in economies to drive innovation and change and I guess all the change that we want to see. It's not going to be big corporates that necessarily make these change. They're sort of it's fast moving and very conscious entrepreneurs. So I realized that I couldn't be my forever business. And so I was pretty I had offers regularly for the business, mainly from my customers. And so I ended up deciding I want to have a business that's more in line with my goals and aspirations as a human. And so yes, yeah, so I, I sold the company and it was one of my customers in China. And that enabled me to have some capital to to buy my next business. And so it was a funny process because I had so I had a blank slate and I was designing what my business would look like, what my career would look like, and the impact that I was going to make. And so my list of five had to be a sustainable farm. So I wanted to learn how to grow food. That was the main thing. So I wanted to go into agriculture, it had to be sustainable, so clean, organic, regenerative something, a food of the future. I didn't want it to be animals. I had to be snacks so I could innovate and be able to sort of play around with the product. had to be indoors so that I could still live in town. So it's a vertical farm, still be really sort of tech-driven and data-driven. And then the last thing was I wanted to create a really, really cool community around the business. And so I was looking at soy crops, I was looking at leafy greens and all sorts of things, and then ended up landing on mushrooms. And I typed in mushrooms into LinkedIn and found some people that were in mushrooms and then eventually found this farm and was I jumped in as CEO first and took the business over a number of years, which I think is quite a good way to take over a farm because there's a lot of moving parts. It's not as simple as sharing a, a P&L and a balance sheet in understanding. So, hmm. And there's a lot of capital requirements too. But when you took it over, there was like a single brand as well. And we're just looking at your brand creative and your Intelligence Bank brand hub. We'll get to that in a minute. But you have really creative thoughts on product extensions and also just branding and having different ways of brand. Because obviously you sell to grocery stores and it's white labeled and that's very commoditized, but that gives you your volume. But then there's some really interesting niche brand extensions and product extensions that you can do with mushrooms. You want to talk a little bit about what you're doing there? Because it's pretty... I love hearing you know your stories every day about what you're innovating and how you're innovating with product to extend the brand and extend your brands as well. Thanks, team. Yeah. And that's critical. So that, I mean, and commodities, the, the key word there, it's, it's how do we make sure we're not a commodity? And the difference between with this business, the commodity was in the glass, but I was innovating and putting it into an innovative package. But my problem was that, and I, I always hated that I didn't, I wasn't vertically integrated and I, I didn't own the source. So I didn't own the wine, even though dad does make wine, but didn't grow enough of it. You know, he wasn't treasury wine estate. And so I was always at the whim of someone further up the chain, which I don't like, because as you know, I don't like being told what to do. And so I wanted to own the source. And so what we own is organic mushrooms in the country. And so that's our lane. And then we go, right, now once we've locked that down, let's then go wide on our products. So we do fresh. The supermarket's strategy is to do own brand. Fine, we'll do your brand. So we package in in the organic Cosmoworth brands. And Buller Park is the company name. It's been that way for 30 years. And it's just been direct to the wholesale market, so B2B. 
and there's been no need. And that's where a lot of farms still play now. And they've just packaged in bulk, sent it to the market, sold it at a per kilo price and see you later. The problem that we're seeing in agriculture now, and I guess COVID kind of expedited this, is there's a lot of single-use requirements from a consumer side. So if we have a look at the mushroom industry, people aren't taking mushrooms and putting them into a paper bag as much. They want to buy a package that's 200 grams or it's even sliced. And so that's expedited this rush into, right, we can't just sell it in a box anymore. We need to be driven by the consumer. And so that's where I'm now having a look. And I always wanted to have a consumer brand, consumer-facing brand. And that's where we're starting down the path of Mushroom Saloon, which I'll be able to do all the fun things with mushrooms. And I mean, I basically just innovate for myself. So where do I want mushrooms in my life? Whether it's sort of vitamin-enhanced coffee, that mushrooms will give you sort of a vitamin D boost in winter, an immune boost in other areas through, you know, different foods. And so we're just going to be start to start to experiment in a wide range of products so that we are known for mushrooms, but we go wide on how you experience that. Right. I think it's amazing. And I love, you know, seeing whether we're talking or even on, you know, social media or whatever, just how diverse mushrooms are. So obviously, as a meat substitute for vegans, obviously, most people like mushrooms and their food as an ingredient. But then there are all these other really cool extensions in terms of you can make leather out of mushrooms, you can make packaging out of mushrooms. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the wide range of mushroom applications that you guys are exploring? Yeah. So, I mean, we always go back to nature and have a look at, say, mycelium is your data point on soil health, if there's a good mycelial base in soil. So mycelium is sort of the internet, which is the mass, which is mushrooms. And what we eat is the fruiting body of the mass, right? And so so the mycelium is the internet of soil and it transfers nutrients and messages and all sorts of things. They might A tree is able to say, hey, you know, we've got a whole heap of wasps invading something and it can send a message to another part of the forest to say, hey, let's, you know, send out a particular sap or whatever it might be to protect it. And so we sort of think about from an innovation perspective, what sort of things we can be doing with those fundamentals in mind. So we're not too far removed from nature. So growing packaging is a really easy one. The challenge there is scale. So I'd probably have to do a deal with Ikea or someone that's got a lot of packaging and I can say, right, I'm happy to go spend the 10 or $20 million setting this plant up because it'll be the same expertise, but a different setup. I think that'll be further down the track. What we're looking at the moment is how if we're looking at consumption and if we're going into El Nino at the end of the year, we think about, right, how are we more efficient with our food? How do we consume less but get more vitamins? So we're sort of focusing on that super nutrient space at the moment. But now that we are actually counting our carbon footprint, there's definitely a space to be making a mushroom leather and, and regenerative sources of our you know current... I mean, plastic was an amazing thing when it when it was invented, because suddenly it's not going to break, it's not glass, and it start, it's got sort of a longer life, and it's a lot more robust in certain situations. But then we go, oh, hang on a second, fossil fuels, global warming. And so we've sort of got that smoking's bad now, and, and we look at how do we look at regenerative inputs. And so mushrooms are incredibly diverse there and its application, but we sort of need to marry industry up with supply with demand. And that's why we've partnered with a multinational to be able to turn that on when the market's ready. So we want to be known for all things mushroom, from packaging to leather to super nutrient foods. Yeah. 
What I love about what you've done with the mushroom business is that even though you're, and we'll talk about Mushroom Saloon and what you're doing there in a minute, but I love how you're injecting your own personal brand values and it kind of goes back to your theme song into the kind of business that you want to have, right? So, and that's what creates passion. And that's what, like whenever I talk to you and that's why I invited you on today is that you're so excited about mushrooms and you're so excited about the potential because it checks a lot of boxes for you. It's organic, it's natural, it's a great alternative for meat, for packaging, for a lot of different things. And it is a challenge, right? Because you have a working farm. It's horticulture in a way, I guess. So would you say it's horticulture because it's it's grown indoors? Yeah, it's horticulture. I was right there. And I think it's that because it reflects your personal brand and what was important for you and what your own personal brand values are, it makes starting a business all more fun. Like if you're in love with your business, it's not work, I guess, is the motto that I always say. And that's how I think about Intelligence Bank as well. But in terms of distribution, that would be a hard thing, right? In cracking that distribution nut and selling to the big grocery stores. And how do you get your brand to stand out if you're deemed a commodity or like most people think of it as a commodity? And can you talk a little bit about your new brand, Mushroom Saloon, and the cool packaging that you're doing? And how do you also use brand of a commodity to command premium pricing as well in a commodity market where people are like, oh, it's a punnet of mushrooms, $5.99 or $4.99. So how does that work for you? And how do you think about that? So it's a really big challenge. And I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily been cracked on the supermarket shelf, but that commodity discussion is a really important one. And commodities really only been around in the last sort of 50 years where we want that sort of scaled agriculture and we've got this consistent supply, which makes sense. But for us, how do we have a relationship with our consumer in a, in a way that a clothing brand does where you've got that emotional connection? Because food's incredibly emotional and in how you eat, you cook something for your family, your partner. It's a caregiving thing. And so how do we bring that onto the shelf? Because at the moment, it's completely devoid. But it is an intention of the supermarkets to remove that and be under their brand so that they're in control. They're the master, which makes sense. It's their store. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But then we go, okay, how do we play outside of that if that's what's happening on the supermarket shelf? What we've been doing with Mushroom Saloon and I mean, when I bought the farm, I thought it would take me just confidently 12 months to do a turnaround on it because it was losing <laughs> yeah, a lot of, of money course. each week, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I thought, right, it'll take me two seconds to do a turnaround and then I'm going to launch a consumer brand and this is what we're doing. Instead, it took me like, I don't know, how long has it been? I've had the farm for about, I think almost five, but it took me three years to get it to a place where it was profitable and I've got really good staff and I've got really good customers. It took much, much longer than I had you know, initially intended. So I'm only now at the point where we can create Mushroom Saloon. And it started with the staff. And we've been really deeply working on our values, our pillars of community, sustainability and innovation. And so everything we do has those in mind. And so we're just putting that together and going to market. But what we will be doing initially is partnering with masters of their craft. So there's a guy that specializes in creating these fermented products. And so he's an expert in creating these sort of gut enhanced sort of microbiome foods. And so we say, right, we're going to give you some mushrooms. Let's see what we can make. And so we're experimenting with patés and dips and all sorts of things. And it's going to be initially just creating specialized mushroom products that 
are on the innovation and sustainability side. Yeah. And then we'll start to sort of expand out from there. But our premise is how can we be the change that we want to see in the world? And everything is stemmed from that. And then working with really cool people in the space that do their thing in their own areas. And really using mushrooms as the base, right? For whatever that is. So it could be something around gut health. It could be around packaging, as we were talking about before. And you've got your day job, right? In the sense like you're shipping tons and tons of mushrooms to national supermarkets, right? Like that's your day job and that's what's happening. But you're also experimenting with your brand and with your product all the time to figure out niche extensions because mushrooms have so much... They're just really portable in terms of the shapes they can take and the benefits that they can have, I guess, for lots of different types of people too, which is amazing. If you have a look at the, oh no, just the dairy industry and how they, you know, they had fresh and then they they said, right, you know, when we have too much, what are we going to do with it? And they started this spray drying industry and they created this dried milk, which then takes off in markets that don't have access to fresh milk. And so how do we create that shelf-stable product that gives us flexibility and, and robustness for revenue? Yeah, awesome. One of the things that is huge in food marketing is packaging and regulation and about, you know, labeling products and making sure that you get that right every time. And can you talk to us about, you know, are people firstly allergic to mushrooms? I would have no idea. And then also, how do you manage, I guess, for the different retail and grocery that you sell into, how do you manage that whole I guess, packaging compliance piece, because what people put in their mouth matters. Some people could die from a food allergy, especially if you're mixing mushrooms with other products where it's not just a pure mushroom. Can you just talk a little bit about, I guess, packaging compliance and what that means and how important that is and how do you manage that process being, you know, a relatively small supplier? And that's the hard bit where we've, there's areas of the business that are really, really different. So we've got the farming side, which is heavy machinery and people doing sort of physical labor and and everything's handpicked, right? And so that's a very particular part of the business and one that's commonly known as, you know, the farmer job. But I mean, this is where a platform like Intelligence Bank just is absolutely critical. We've got this dispatch area. So we're a small farm. I employ 60 people we do about 20 tonne of mushrooms a week. We need to compete at the level of these huge, big multinationals. And we're supplying the supermarkets nationally. I've got food safety requirements. The main ones are fresh care and harps. And that's our ticket to play with the supermarkets. Bigger companies will have an entire team that just does compliance. And that's their full-time job where I need to work out via technology and innovation how I punch above my weight as a small farm so that I can really efficiently meet the compliance. And so we've got everything preloaded on the intelligence bank platform. So I'm not single person dependent in the dispatch team. I can have people come through and understand exactly what the rules are and what we need to comply to. But we've got rules that are very strict with private labels. So we do the Coles and Woolworths label. They've got things that are okay on the label because we, so they give us sort of a blank label that we then print onto. So it's just got their brand and we have to print certain specs onto it. Those specs need to be listed and understood in the dispatch area. And then we will do sort of, I mean, a range of sort of private labels. And then we've got the, say, Mushroom Saloon, which we're launching now and say, I send that into Costco and Costco say, right, okay, this is what it needs to look like. And so 
all of those specs will come up into the platform as well. It's interesting how organic certification, we're going down the regenerative path, what you can and can't say is really important because obviously it's misleading information on food. There aren't actually allergens in mushrooms, but if someone's allergic to good food, you know, I can't help them. There's no amount of label requirements that's going to help them there. What I've found is that the only way is having a central repository of the rules. And yeah, that's my only secret weapon. And really that checklist, right? So it doesn't matter. And I think this is what we see with a lot of our clients, whether they're in banking or insurance or cosmetics. It's, you know, just like, you know, an airline pilot has a checklist to take off and land. Like before you ship product, there are certain things that you have to do or... No pun intended, it's not going to fly. That was a bit busy, but it's true. But it's like, it's, it literally is not going to fly. And, and you really can't manage packaging compliance and food compliance in email and expect, you know, revolving door of people who are handling food and doing things to, to remember. And it's also, I'm sure the regulations change. So having a central source to update that is super important. So just on brands and coming back to that, what are some other food brands that you admire that you think are doing it well and from a packaging or even from a food innovation perspective? Who do you love and what do you love about them? So there's a cool brand that's small, but over in LA called Flamingo Estate. And I think I bought you one of their products, didn't I? For you did. And something. I love it. It's Have great. You, <laughs> thank you. Box. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> it is not. It is great. Yeah. But you know, two, one of them is an Australian founder and they're sort of two advertising guys and they just, they've done farm in this really highly stylized way. And I think they're starting to, it's almost like Italian meets this trendy LA highly stylized kind of farm. And I think what they've done is fantastic. And so I'm always following them and they do these fantastic collaborations. And so from a food perspective, I think they're, they're really good. There's another food company called Perfection Fresh, which is in Australia. They're really good at bringing new varieties out. It's their branding and marketing isn't interesting, isn't sort of that standout. But in terms of bringing new varieties, so they're standing outside of the commodity side of things, I think it's quite cool. And then, I mean, then there's clothing brands that are really good at that. You know, it's an extension of your personality. And you know that I there's certain brands that I wear, not because I necessarily love their clothes, but I love what they stand for and what they're doing. I'm really into what RM Williams is doing now, that there's a person behind that brand. It's not owned via LVMH. There's someone that's starting to put their personality and the things that they want to see in the world. So I think there's there's some great clothing brands that I think could be inspiration for food brands. Like Ralph Lauren, because you're usually head to toe in well, as well. <laughs> Look, I was, was going to say that, but I feel like that's not the... I mean, that's a pretty interesting story, though, in terms of positioning and how they've gone about creating this lifestyle brand. Like, I'd love to do that for mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, and I think what's, you know, especially in commoditized markets, I mean, fashion's a little bit different because it has to do with the style, the quality, and the cut. But... I think what's really interesting what you're doing specifically with this is that the only thing differentiating a commodity into a product that people are willing to pay a premium for is brand at the end of the day. It's how buying that product makes you feel and or the values and or the product extensions Mm. that it provides. And that's what's cool about what you're doing. And when you showed me 
the brand guidelines that you're putting up into Intelligence Bank Brand Hub, I was blown out of the water using, you know, like kind of those beautiful, earthy, mushroomy color tones, but you're injecting neon all over the place. And it feels like it's growing and it's active and it's alive. And the fact that you also are in this business because it reflects your personal brand and what you want to stand for and the contribution you want to make to the world is just awesome as well. And I think that shows in everything you do in terms of the product marketing, even the white label, <laughs> uh, but hard to do with the white label, but oh, especially the branded, you, you're, you're doing a great job. Is there any, like for anybody who was looking to get into, I guess, food marketing or food or ag, you know, kind of ag businesses, what advice, because you went from wine and you did some other things as well, but wine and mushrooms, if you think. So that's very food-based. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them and how to start out and and what to think about as they look at their career from that? Well, I mean, firstly, there's no rules and there's no structure and there's no sort of like, leave your details here and we'll put you in touch with the right person. I just think that at the end of the day, it comes down to hustle. And as I mentioned, I put the word mushroom into LinkedIn and that's what led me to my farm. I think you've got to be really creative in the ways... I mean, first it starts with you and what do you... Because think about, this is going to be your topic for a good 10 years and you've got to be happy to talk about this topic. So pick a good topic and then go about and see where this is found, who are the players in the market. And I mean, I guess be really conscious of the types of, of businesses you want if you're going to work within a business work with a company that's got these champions that really want you to succeed and can listen to you and your vision and help you manifest that into the market. I think that's the most critical thing. From a a farming perspective, farming desperately needs this thinking. You sort of touched on it it before. Um, I think this is because I was taking a phone call about what was that as we were going up the mountain for a ski and I had a power... Oh no, it's something to do with the fridge. The fridges were out. And so I had to get the 24-hour fridgey out. The fridges were out. And that would have been your crop, right? That would have been your absolutely. Month, like it takes, what, a month there's, from there's twenty tons. To, yeah, that's a lot of mushrooms that were about to like die on a vine, so to speak. So, yeah, <laughs> well, a lot of money, and, and then I would have to. I'm on my knees apologizing to all my customers and things. So, we're a seven day a week business, and you have to be really proactive. But you get caught up. And we know we talk a lot about this as leaders working in the business versus on the business. It's farming. I didn't realize this, but. It is one of the hardest industries. You put everything physically, emotionally, intellectually into it and you've tried your absolute best, but then something can go wrong and and a lot of the time it's the weather and something that's completely out of your control and that is just emotionally the hardest thing in the world. And so you don't see farms really investing in the marketing and the sales and being clever with the platforms that they put into their business. Like Intelligence Bank is the only way that I'm able to punch above my weight and compete with these bigger guys because I can't afford to put 20 people on. I can have one, maybe two people looking at the standards and what's required because every product that leaves my farm gets physically checked three times to make sure the label's right, to make sure the product's right, to make sure the punnet's right. And so I absolutely need that. Um, that in place. But I'm circling back. I am making sense. My advice would be to have a look at some industries you think could do with some help and reach out to them and reach out to a particular farm. Farmers, you'd be surprised. They'll invite you over for dinner. They're a really, really open bunch. And so I think the space desperately needs this sort of creative thinking 
and particularly now. And as, as we transition our brands, not well, we should have been online a long time ago, but agriculture is just thinking about how do we live online? And so I just, yeah, I highly recommend these creatives and kick-ass minds to reach out to agriculture. We'll like welcome you with open arms. Yeah, Georgia, that's awesome. You're making mushrooms cool and amazing and standing out from the pack. Thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot and I know you very well and I know your business very well, but I just get a lot of inspiration from you and about what you're doing from an innovation, a product extension and innovation and a brand extension. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. We really appreciate it. T, thanks so much for having me. Congratulations on your business. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Brand Intelligence. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Georgia. If you have any questions or feedback, please send us an email at podcast at intelligencebank.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with others who might be interested in the world of branding and marketing. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can subscribe where the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you download your pods. Once again, thank you for listening and see you next time on Intelligence Bank's Brand Intelligence.